And so, yeah, we're reading from Philippians 2, and I want to go ahead and go straight into that. Um, in your notes, you have Philippians, I believe, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, 8 through 11. Um, but I want to read the entire, go back from chat, verse 1, if that's okay with you guys. But in your notes, you should have verses 8 through 11. But I want to take us from verse 1, chapter 2, in the book of Philippians. And now this book is written by Paul, and he's writing to the church at Philippi. And Paul loves this church, right? We read in chapter 1, he says that, I, I, I spend day and night, I think of you, I pray for you. In all my prayers, I have joy praying and thinking of you day and night. Like, I love you. But they had a problem at the church, and it's an attitude problem. How many of us have attitude problems? Oh, we know someone with an attitude problem, right? Well, the church at Philippi had an attitude problem, and so Paul is addressing it in chapter 2. And he opens up in chapter 2, verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He says in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Amen. Amen. So yeah, guys, we're going to be focusing in on verses 8 through 11 today. Um, but I want to take us back a little bit. And I titled today's message, God Exalts the Humble. It's taken from our scripture here today. Right? We're looking at how God responds now to the obedience of Jesus. So in the first few chapters, uh, verses in, in, in chapter 2, we look at the attitude of Christ. Okay, we look at his attitude towards our needs and what is our greatest need, right? Our need for forgiveness of our sins, our need for our sins to be forgiven, our need to have a relationship once again restored with our God. And so Jesus' attitude is what towards that? To come down, right? To empty himself, to become a man and to die on the cross, to be obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, death on a cross, and so we want to look at that's Jesus' attitude towards our need. What is God's response towards his son? All right. Now, um, I worked as a dean for a school, which was elementary through high school. And so most of my days I spent counseling all sorts of different issues. As you can imagine, from pre-K to he took my, you know, he took my pencil, you know, all the way through high school. Where, like, he took my girl, right? <laughs> Something like that. All right. It was like totally drastic, but... But I dealt with all these things, and, and every day it was constantly counseling. And what I began to learn is that, man, at the heart of a lot of this, sin was an attitude problem, right? Like, they always wanted to be right. It's like, it's a, Danny was with me, and it would take hours sometimes just to settle, like, guys, you're both wrong here. 
We both have an issue. You both need to repent of this. But it was always, no, but this one, but that one. And we all have this tendency. We want to be right. And what I've learned is that, yeah, it was in the pre-K, the four-year-old. It's also in the 18-year-old. But I've also learned that it's also in me, and it is in you, and in every adult, right? This doesn't leave us an attitude problem. So you can look to the person sitting next to you and say, you do have an attitude problem. You don't have to do that. Some of you really whispered it. All right. And Paul is addressing this attitude problem at the church at Philippi by pointing out the attitude of Christ. He says, man, we ought to be like our high priest, right? Our king, that's the one we want to model. So he says, adopt the same attitude of Christ. Adopt the same attitude of Christ. And he proceeds and he tells us that the way we can do that, the way we can take on the attitude of Christ is we have to see what that attitude is. And so what is the attitude of Christ? We said that our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sins so that we do not spend eternity under the just wrath of our God, right? Because he is just and holy and we deserve of his punishment. And the Bible tells us that the punishment of sin is death. And so that's our greatest need. What does Jesus do? He humbles himself. We know the attitude of Christ by how he left his throne in heaven and he made his temporary home in an unwanted, nobody, nothing good comes out of town called Nazareth. We see the attitude of Christ in that though he has created all things, and in Colossians talks about what? That all things were created for him and by him, right? By him and for him. Still, he chose to come down, be born from a teenage girl, have a father who's a carpenter. We see the attitude of Christ in the wilderness, right? As he's tempted by Satan to get all the riches now, everything he can possibly want now. But he makes it clear at that moment that his ministry is to do the will of his father. We see the attitude of Christ as he willingly accepts the will of the Father to redeem man from his sins, even though it's going to cost him his life. We see the attitude of Christ that while he hung on the cross, though he could have called down the legion of angels, though he should have, he could have came down himself. He stood on that cross and he forgives his the very people in front of him who, who, are, who have put him on that cross. We see his attitude as he chose to stay on the cross because the word is clear that no one takes his life, but he willingly lays it down. You see, Christ came to meet our needs head on. That was his attitude. And so as Christians, if we are to take on the attitude of Christ, what does that mean? That means that we need to just as Christ take on issues all around us head on. So when we talk about injustice all around us in this, in, this, in this world, right, as Christians, what do we do if we have the attitude of Christ? Should we just tweet about it and, and, and post a Facebook a blog about it? Or, or should we, you know, just uh, debate someone about it? No, but I think what Paul is saying, if we always have the attitude of Christ, then we need to do much more than post it on Facebook. But we need to pray for ways for God to open up the doors so that we can meet those needs head on, just like our Savior came and met our needs head on. The truth is that Christians, if we are to be Christians, right, then we better be more concerned, not just for the well-being of here and us in America, but for the well-being of every nation, every country, every child, everyone who calls, who is the image bearer of God, no matter where they're living. As a Christian, we need to be concerned about their needs. We can't adopt the attitude of this world, right, that says, look out just for yourself, for your friends, your inner circle. But to adapt the attitude of Christ means that we look at his attitude towards our needs and reflect that towards the needs of others. It means that we humble ourselves, think of others, and even bear their burdens. That's what Christ exemplified, right? 
That's the selfless attitude. And so that was Christ's attitude towards our needs. And we said we need to image that. We need to reflect that. But I want to spend the rest of our time looking at how does God then respond to his son's obedience. And so in your notes, I put it this way. From Christ's example of humility. So if you have your bulletins, this is a time where you probably want to take that out. If you'd like to take notes, we give you the opportunity to do that. From Christ's example of humility, what do we learn? We learn that God acts on behalf of selfless obedience. Now, what do I mean by that? So much of our uh, time, right, we spend so much trying to gain recognition for ourselves that in doing that, a lot of times we lose what God really wants to give us. And I can give you some examples, right? And I want to use children first. I have, two, I have three little ones. Um, and so my wife and I are trying to teach our kids something very important. And, and, and we're not there. And you parents probably you know, can relate to this. But um, we're trying to teach them that when we tell them to do something and they do it five minutes later and they're acting obedient, that's disobedience, right? And so we're trying to teach them that delayed obedience is really disobedience, that when we say to do something, it's to do it. All right. And now you parents can relate and say, yeah, you know, I've gone through that. But for example, like with our kids, right? if I ask them to clean up their room. Right. And what do we do? I, I've been guilty of this and some of you have been guilty of it as well. We'll say something like this. Go ahead and clean your room. They're on there, whatever, and they're not doing it. All right. A minute passes like, boy, I'm going to give you three seconds. One. Two. You, you, you got to get it now. And we delay the three, right? Three, and, and then they run. And all of a sudden, a miracle took place, right? Like, all of a sudden, at three, as you came, as you lunged at them, they, they, their ears were open, and they heard, and they knew exactly what it was you were asking to do. Like, whoa, God, you're good. At three, you know, a miracle happened. No, what, they knew what you were asking them to do along, but they were testing, right? And it's this obedience, but it, no, it's disobedience. It's this delayed. And, and we do that, right? And, and uh, we do it even, I mean, when we drive and... We, we, we obey the speeding limit, right? I was driving, I had a training in Long Island yesterday, and um, we finished late, and I wanted to get home quick, because I wanted to see my kids. The night before, I didn't get to see them that much. And so, like, you know, speed limit's 60 where I'm at, and I'm going, like, 85. And um, I'm speeding, and I'm going fast, and, and I'm doing this, right? And then they hit me, man, I got to slow down and be obedient, and, you know, but my obedience wasn't because, you know, I was concerned, obviously, what could happen to my life. I was concerned about, you know, others and, you know, the danger I'm putting everyone else in, right, by going 85 miles per hour. It's not good. Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm repenting of that. Um, but I was doing it because I really didn't want to get a ticket, and that would delay me even more from getting home later, right, because if the cop pulls you over, you know they're going to keep you for, like, 20 minutes because they just want to do that, all right? Um, and so we, it's like, man, we, even in our obedience, it's like selfish. And, we, we, and so Jesus is saying, God, is, God responds to that out of his grace. But what he's requiring us, especially from his church, is not this, this, this uh, selfish obedience, but the selfless obedience towards the Father. That it doesn't matter, it doesn't center around yourself, but you're obedient simply because you love your Father. You're obedient because you love him. And it's the selfless obedience. And this creeps into the church, right? How many of us have said something like this? God, if you please get me out of this situation that I'm in, then I'll do, you know, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. Or we say, God, you know, if you please get me out of debt, the situation that I've caused by my poor management and my disobedience, if you do that, I'll give to the church. And so, God, if you, then I will do. God, if you do this for me. 
See, again, God could and does respond out of his love to that. But for the church, he's not. He, it's, it's, a, it's an obedience that he desires from us, especially from the bride of Christ. Out of a love for our God. And so Christ's example of humility, we learn that God acts on behalf of selfless obedience. It says, for this reason, right? For this reason, God exalts him. What reason? If you look back, he, he humbles himself and out of obedience even to the point of death on the cross. For this reason, God exalts him. For this reason. Number two in your notes. There is a reward for the selfless servant. So from Christ's example, we learn that there is a reward now for the selfless servant. And I am glad, and you tell me if you agree, I am glad, I am so glad that Christ chose to become a servant and to consider me worthy of his death on the cross. And I am so glad that God chose to respond to his son's selfless attitude. And his father's response was this. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Now, I want you to notice who does the exalting here. Cannot go unnoticed. It is God who exalts Jesus. It is God who exalts Jesus. For this reason, God highly exalts him. Jesus did not exalt himself. Jesus' focus was not lifting himself up, but his focus again was bringing glory to the Father. He says this in John 6, verse 38. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, Jesus didn't spend his time on earth trying to make a name for himself. Remember how huge that is. Imagine that you had the authority of Jesus. What does it say in Matthew 28, 18? It says, all authority, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Like, what would you do if you had all authority? My goodness, Jesus has all authority on heaven and on earth. It was given to him. And yet with that authority, he does not choose to use it to exalt himself. Instead, he uses that authority to show the love of the Father. He used his authority to heal the sick. He used that authority to cast out demons to the glory of the Father. He used that authority to forgive others of the sins of their sins to the glory of the Father. Jesus used his authority to lay down his life to the glory of the Father. And for you and I, I need us to look at that. And I need us to see that we too need to look for ways as Jesus to not lift ourselves up, but to lift up others to the glory of our Father and trust and rest in God. In fact, trusting and resting in God is a pretty good place to put your trust and rest. What does it say in your notes? You have the scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So what? So that he may exalt you at the proper time. How many of you know that God wants to also exalt you? 
that is like, guys, in light of what we read in the book of Revelations just now before we start, in light of what we know who this God is, that at the proper time, he also will exalt you. He also will exalt you. Just as he's exalted his son Jesus, he wants to and will exalt those who belong to him. And so the encouragement is as you have this selfless attitude and, and adopt the attitude of Christ and, and lay yourself down and serve others and consider others and the needs of others, trust that at the right time, God will exalt you. He is pleased and he's looking down, so keep at it. It gets frustrating helping other people, right? It gets frustrating at times and, and it, it could be discouraging, but guys, keep the attitude of Christ and know that God is true to his promises, and as difficult that is, it is, there's a reward for the selfless servant of God. Amen. From Christ's example, we learn God acts on, the, on behalf of the selfless obedient. That was number one in your notes. Number two, there is a reward for the selfless servant. And three, the humble will be lifted high. I love that about our God. I love that he loves to take things and kind of like, upside down and, and do things his way, right? And he says those uh, 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 that the humble will be lifted high. Those who make themselves low will be high. Those who humble themselves will be lifted high. Christ emptied himself, right? Looking back early in the verses, he empties himself. Though he's God, he came down and he took on the likeness of humanity, took on the form of a servant. The king of kings took on the form of a servant. How many leaders do we know that that lowers themselves willingly and now and in history? And those who have done that and are doing, we celebrate them, right? We, we, we honor, we're like, man, that is so cool. God loves to turn things upside down. He loves to take the hopeless situation and let it shine. He loves to take that hopeless situation and let his love shine through it. Man, so if your situation right now seems hopeless and just down and low, Know that, man, God loves to take that situation and he loves to shine in it. And his love and his grace will shine through that and he will exalt you. The humble will be lifted high. In verse 9, it says this, not only to exalt him, he gives him, he gives Jesus the name that is above every name. He exalts him and he gives him the name above every name. Jesus is lifted high. Why? So that every person ever born will give glory to God the Father by declaring the name of Jesus. Every single person has ever been born and will be born will lift up the name of Jesus. Acts 4.12 says this, says there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus' name is above all other names. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is our King. He's our High Priest. He's the only mediator between God and us. He's the name above all every name. And only His name is worthy of our response to do what we did this morning, to come down and to worship and bow down at His feet. We learn from Christ's humility he, that God acts on behalf of the selfless servant, rewards the selfless servant, and the humble will be lifted high. The last two things I want to discuss today in our time is from our text. We're going to focus on this. Why do we then follow in Christ's example of humility? We take on the attitude of Christ because we too are concerned about others, right? It's the selfless attitude. In fact, 
In obedience to him, we want to make disciples and to teach others all that we know of Jesus. That's why at Swerve Church, we say this, that we will lead people to Jesus. See, one of the ways you know that you have adopted the attitude of Christ is this, is if it's become your life's mission to leading people to Jesus. Is that what makes your heart beat in the morning? Is that what drives you? You know you've adopted this attitude, and that's become the force behind everything you do, is to lead people to Jesus. In fact, that's our mission at Swerve Church. We say this, and I want us to say it together in a second. Now, we say our mission is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. How, that's it. That's, what we, that's why we do everything we do. That's why, I mean, we, we gather here on Sundays and it's great, but it's our mission not to just gather. Our mission is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Why? Because we know that when they find Christ, when you find Christ, you find life. When you find Christ, you find life. That it is the name of Jesus that you will one day bow down to. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In Philippians 2.10, it says, so that, the, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. He alone is worthy of such praise. And I love that. There's an action that takes place, a bowing down before Jesus. And lastly for today, if we follow in Christ's example of humility... Every knee will bow to Jesus and confess that he is Lord. We follow in Christ's example of humility because every knee will bow to Jesus and confess that Jesus is Lord. This is not a maybe. This is not we're hoping this will happen. This is, this is what will happen. Every knee will bow to Jesus. Everyone will act We'll act. Jesus, you are Lord. And we in action will bow down. And in word, we will confess that he is Lord. And this will take place for every person that has ever existed. And this is clear in our last two verses for, the, for today. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I want to ask you a final question today. Will you bow down to Jesus and confess he's Lord today? Or will that day come when you face him, when you are before him face to face and the time has passed for you to be saved from the penalty of your sins? Because the Bible is clear for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes me. That includes you. And the penalty of our sins is death. Death for me, death for you, death is what we deserve from that holy God that we looked at in the book of Revelations that stands before the throne with elders surrounding him, bowing down and shouting and crying, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We, de we, we, we deserve the punishment of our sins towards that holy God. We need a savior, right? And we looked at this in previous series, man. We make lousy saviors. 
We cannot save ourselves no matter what you do, no matter how good you are or what you give to the church or, you know, how selfless you even become. At the end of that, man, no matter what we do in ourselves, cannot attain the salvation that we need, cannot satisfy the full wrath of God because he is so holy. Even our greatest of works is like filthy, right, rags to our God. It's, it's nothing. The most, the greatest of charities is nothing towards what our God deserves in his glory. It all falls short. But we saw today that God loves to take the low, right? And he loves to lift it high. And so he wants to take you wherever you're at. He wants to take you no matter how great your sins are and how far you've probably strayed from the Father. He wants to forgive you of your sins. And he wants to bring you close to him. And he wants to restore that relationship that is broken. And all this through the name of Jesus and only through the name of Jesus. The Bible calls us to repent of our sins, to turn from our sins, to look at it and run the opposite way, and then to confess it, that Jesus is Lord. That means that he has now full authority, full authority over your life. He is Lord, and as you do that, you lay it down, and you rest in the Father, and you live for his glory. Amen. Did you guys pray with me? Father, God, how amazing it is, Lord, that your love for us will reach so far that you would come down and in obedience you would give your life for me and for everyone sitting here today. Lord, help us, God, to live our lives in such a way, Father, that does not consider ourselves greater, but, Lord, we'll lay it down at your feet and just live for the glory of our Father, that we will adopt your attitude and that in turn we would know and rest and trust that our God has us and that he will one day lift us, that one day all things will be made perfect, but, God, right now that we would continue to strive and love you and love others. That, God, it will not be our goal in our life here to make much of ourselves, but our goal in our lives and our purpose, which it is to make much of the name of Jesus, that we will live for your glory and that we will enjoy that. God, thank you that in worshiping you, God, it brings us so much joy. God, how good you are. That even in our worshiping of you, God, we get to enjoy it and we get to be lifted up and we get to play a part, God, in that worship that's taking place right now in heaven. I get the opportunity with my brothers and sisters to be a part of that. God, forgive me and forgive us for ever coming, even in a worship service and making it about us or making it about how good it sounded to our ears or how good how good the, the, the musicians were, how good anything was that took place, the bagels in the back or whatever. God, forgive us, Lord, but to, that we would remember that, God, we are playing a part in what's going on in heaven. I, I, I don't know if I'll ever and will ever understand that. But I look forward to one day being before you, God, and worshiping with brothers and sisters of every nation and every tongue and with the angels just lifting up our voices, singing holy, holy, 
is the Lord God Almighty. We live for that, Father. So help us, God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.